Hi there, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 19th December 2018 Hong Kong Stories podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. Well, it's that time of year again, the time of year when we look back on the year quickly coming to an end, pick ourselves up off the ground one last time, dust off our hands and vow that next year, next year will be different. That little change in the calendar that comes between December 31st and January 1st, we promise ourselves, will make us a new person. The cautious tell themselves that they'll be adventurous. The daredevils promise themselves that they'll slow down. And while we sit contemplating the closing of the year this week, we'll be listening to Niharika's story from our September live show, when she finds herself in a situation that's not all that comfortable. After Neherika is a story from Austin, told in May 2016, about its own brush with the adventurous lifestyle. But before we get to the stories, the warmest mid-December thank yous go out to our ever-loyal hometown listeners in Hong Kong. The support we get in this town is amazing. Most of our 13 shows this year were sold out, and more and more Hong Kong ears are listening to our podcasts every day. Not only ears in Hong Kong, though, Hearty highs go out to listeners this week in Cape Town in South Africa, Brighton East in Australia, Medan in Indonesia, and Willemstad in Karako. Thank you to all our listeners around the world for letting our stories into your ears. It is amazing how much we've accomplished in a year. Here at Hong Kong Stories, we've put on 13 live shows, held over 52 free workshops, produced a further 52 podcast episodes. This one comes in at number 131 overall. Expanded our community, met loads of new people, discovered a sister organization just over the border, Hi Shenzhen Stories, and shared so many stories of our lives with one another in 2018. In January, we'll start the whole cycle again. This organization is run entirely by volunteers our shows and workshop hosts, our storytellers, and the people that keep things ticking behind the scenes. Thanks to all of you. You are appreciated. And now for our first story from our September 2018 show, which had the theme of Something Blue, a story of adventure, excitement, and possibly a tiny bit of foolishness. Here's Neherika. We were halfway through our arduous voyage when we capsized. Neither of us knew how to swim. The water current was really strong. If you ask my friend Unen, he'll tell you we almost died that day. Did we though? I mean, our arduous voyage was from one beach in Saikung to another a two-kilometer journey on our kayaks. So here's what happened. Unen and I were in one kayak, and my fiance Indy was in a single-person kayak close to us. We'd started off as a group of uh, 11, eight enthusiastic and experienced kayakers, and three anxious first-timers, Unen, Indy, and I. This was supposed to be a fun birthday celebration for our friend Saurabh, uh, kind of like a reunion with our university friends we'd lost touch with. 
But guess what? After meeting them for a quick group photo at the starting point, we lost touch with them again. <laughs> huh. So the three of us, Unayan, Indy, and I, are left behind trying to figure out how to paddle so that we can turn left, so we can finally start going in the right direction. We're like turning all over the place. The three of us have been close friends since university. We hang out pretty much every weekend. By that, I mean gather at one of our apartments, get some delivery, get some drinks, play some music, or watch some YouTube. When we say we want to do something outdoors today, we definitely mean alfresco brunch. <laughs> That's about it. Saurabh's birthdays give us sedentary beings a chance to flex our non-existent adventure muscles. So three years ago, he took us quad biking. I spent the night in the hospital with a sprained arm and a wounded foot. Now three years later, here we are in the South China Sea, cursing Saurabh under our breaths again. I remind myself, though, we did prepare for this kayaking adventure. We watched two YouTube videos in the cab to cycle. Basic paddling techniques and kayaking for beginners. Now I'm playing the first video in my head as we are paddling. Arms at 90 degrees. Rotate torso. Dip at an angle and unwind from the hip for a short stroke. Not bad, pretty good. One and I are starting to get good momentum. It's pretty surprising considering he didn't even know what kayaking was until we got into the cab. Uh, guys, what are these videos talking about? Don't we just pedal with our feet? <laughs> yes, we were not laughing too. Unen, we are not going for a family pedal boarding picnic on like those pink swan shaped boats. But guys, I need to cut him some slack. He was paranoid from the beginning about this whole thing. A, he doesn't know how to swim. Neither do I. But he's actually scared of water. B, he really wanted an experienced kayaking partner to feel comfortable. He ended up with me. <laughs> so anyway, we are almost halfway into our journey when I noticed that our kayak is swaying. And I'm like, that's probably normal. I mean, what do I know about kayaking? And then it starts filling up with water. That can't be normal. And that definitely didn't happen to the YouTube guys. <laughs> so Nen and I decide it's wise to pause, get the water out of our kayak, and then continue. I'm doing exactly that. I'm relentlessly splashing water from like in front of me. And then Unen starts paddling again, faster than before, getting more water in than I managed to take out. It's like, Unen, what's going on? Let's not stop. I need this to be over with. Let's keep going. I'm like, OK. And we continue paddling. And the kayak is swaying way too much. Hang on. The kayak isn't swaying. Unayan is. At this point, I realize the real reason he was seasick. He is seasick. Shit. OK, Unayan, just relax. Calm down, OK? You're going to be fine. Stop paddling. I'll paddle and keep us moving. 
You focus on keeping yourself upright, okay? Onen, are you okay there? He nodded, but he didn't stop swaying. So now I have to shift my body weight to counter his sway. He moves to the left, I have to shift to the right. He drops to the right, and I have to quickly put my weight on the left. So I'm doing this, paddling with one hand, getting water from the kayak out with the other hand, while constantly shifting my body weight to counter this wave from someone much heavier than me. And then I notice Onel's head's dropping. The upper part of his body is going in small circles. I'm worried now. I really do not want him to faint and fall face first into the ocean. That's not going to happen. So I stop, I stop paddling. I need to keep my focus on Onan. Onan, bro, you need to stay upright. You need to open your eyes, chin up. Onan, just, you're going to be fine, okay? Just chin up, keep your eyes open, stay upright. You are going to be fine. As I say that, though, I know we're not going to be fine because our kayak is practically submerged in water. <laughs> As I look down, I see the lower part of my body under a thin layer of water. I look at Onan in front of me, his denim shorts completely wet. I can't help but laugh. He showed up for kayaking in brunch clothes. <laughs> Slick black Zara shirt, white denim shorts, and Converse sneakers. We did tell him in the cab that the denim shorts are going to weigh you down if you fall into the water. Well, I'm not planning to fall into the water, because if I do, it's game over. Well, three, two, one. Game fucking over. <laughs> We're in the water. Unyan is convinced his life jacket is not working. He's flapping his heads and moving his legs. The panic is visible in his droopy, seasick eyes. Thankfully, Indy's around. He's sitting tight on his kayak. He takes care of Unayan, trying to calm him down, while I'm doggy paddling around to gather stuff that fell out of our kayak. Got the paddles. Managed to get one of my slippers. But where is our bag? Unayan, you know the bag with all our stuff? I don't find it anywhere. Your phone, your wallet, everything probably sunk when we capsized. Now, as soon as he heard this, Onayan gained magical powers. <laughs> Move out of the way, Niharka. Whoa. Within an instant, he single-handedly flipped our capsized kayak. Wow. I guess being a trader by profession, the thought of losing money was all he needed to, to recover. Wow. And guess what? The bag that I was looking for was right under our kayak, so we found that. The three of us did a celebratory air five. Our seasick friend had recovered. I guess I spoke too soon. As we were trying to climb back on the kayak, Onan started to get anxious again. Guys, are there sharks in this water? <laughs> of course not. I said, as nonchalantly as possible, while imagining all the sharks and jellyfish and whatnot right underneath my feet. I need to calm down because Unen is not calm. 
He's looking down. He looks like he's about to faint any time. This is not good. Indy starts whistling to get attention from nearby boats, because it's clear at this point that even if we do manage to get back on the kayak, there is no way he can paddle to shore in his barely conscious state. A good Samaritan finally heard Indy's whistle and called the police for us. The Hong Kong police showed up in 20 minutes. They got us onto their sexy black rescue boats. They can only be described as Batmobiles, racing over the waves. We were at the shore in minutes. So now the question, is what Onen believes true? Could we have died? Absolutely not. But Indy and I take pride in telling Onen we saved his life. So we let him believe so. Thank you. Naharika claims that they were never in any danger. But from this side of the story, I'm not so sure. But then, one person's danger is often another person's playground. For some people, getting up on a stage in front of 80 strangers and telling them a true story about your life could seem pretty dangerous. But we have at least eight brave storytellers per week going through our process and then stepping up in front of the microphone. If this seems dangerous to you, but you want to try it anyway, go to hongkongstories.com and find out the steps to get your story onto our stage. Now with the second story for today that presents a different story of danger. From 2016, here is Austin. So uh, somehow I managed to meet this extraordinary blonde Italian Greek woman in a video shop in Bali. And she was, she was house sitting in a villa and she told me to go meet her there. And so I went there and it was more of a kind of enclave done in very authentic new age expat tropical beach style. It had <laughs> turquoise walls and there were the seashells and there was incense burners and everything was, everything was there. And there was this exquisite stack of books uh, sitting on the table. And I started looking through them and they were so cool because they had these hybridized titles. It was as if you took two topics that don't belong together, one selected from right brain, one selected from left brain, or right brain and left brain, and just jammed them together. So there were things like the mathematics of ancient religions. <laughs> and then there, the psychology of botany. So I never read that one. Then, then was like the pathologies of aroma. aroma? Do those... Do those words mean anything put together like that? <laughs> but the most interesting thing about the whole scene was that there was another guy already sitting there. And he was <laughs> obediently sitting in this chair telling her stories about his travels from all over Southeast Asia. And <clears throat> I couldn't quite figure it out. Is that, are they old friends or yeah, maybe they're new friends? Are they old lovers? Maybe current lovers. I, I didn't know. I didn't know. But they had this definite rhythm going. He was telling his story, and she would say, Ah, that's fantastic. And then he'd go on, and she'd say, Oh, only you could have thought of that. And uh, so I, then as things went along in the conversation, she started making her own views about relationships 
quite plain. You know, she was saying, oh, but people are not possessions. Fair enough, that's fine. And then <laughs> went on and she would say, uh, what was the second one? <laughs> Sorry. Um, she would say, oh, we, we live in a sensual world. <laughs> and it is meant to be explored. And I can't argue with that. Or, or, or why would you? Why would you? And then, and then she said, you know, no, I... Desires cannot be policed by these moralistic attitudes. And I was like, oh, I'm trying to participate. And just like, I, yeah, moralistic attitudes, I, I hate them. I hate them. I'm not, not for that. And, um, and uh, then suddenly another guy comes in. You hear a motorcycle pull up. This guy comes in and... He puts a mini disc down on the table, and it's, uh, it turns out to be her electronic, her electronic trance music from, direct from Goa. And she says, ah, bravo, you are amazing. And then he just, he just leaves. And uh, she turns to me and says, you know Jean-Marc? He is a genius. I said, mm, no, I don't really know Jean-Marc, the genius. No, I don't. And uh, so... I began to understand that she was a kind of queen bee, and she had all these drones buzzing about at any given time. And I was happy to be a drone. I wanted to be a drone, but, <clears throat> but I, didn't, I wasn't a drone yet. I didn't have a job. They, they, they had jobs. One guy was doing the travel show. The other guy doing the, uh, the music support. And what was, I, what was I supposed to do? And so just right on cue, she comes drifting by in her sarong, and she says... I have something for you to do. And she takes my hand and opens it up and puts a pair of tweezers in my, in my palm. And then she lays herself out like a piece of sushi on the terracotta tile floor. And she says, she looks back and she says, I think I have a small piece of glass in my foot and it has been bothering me for days. Would you be a saving angel and take it out for me? And so I said... Sure, I'll, I'll do that. So I literally bent down at, at, at her feet, and I looked across her soul, and I, I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything. And the, by this time, the beats are going on in the background, you know? And the, and the other guy's going on with his stories. And then by that time, I was quite certain we were going to miss the ferret. And I thought, it felt like I had won the lottery to, to do a surgery at Burning Man. And I was just trying not to sweat on her and trying to figure out how does one be a saving angel in this situation and just looking, scanning, and I wasn't seeing anything. And I was like, okay, just, just, just calm down. Just calm down. You've got this. You've got this. And bring it down millimeter by millimeter. We're just going to do it the hard way and, and just scan every millimeter of this. And then I felt, I felt something. I, that's, I said, that's, a, that's an imperfection. That's, that's an imperfection. Therefore, that's not her because she's perfect. And therefore, that's, the, that's it. That is it. And I pulled out this tiny prismatic shard and I knew at that point that I had successfully passed drone certification level one and 
I had a rightful place in her hive. But the, 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 the challenge of being a drone was just starting because I had to figure out, figure out her patterns, figure out her movements, figure out her ways, you know. And so found out that, okay, in the morning, she, she likes to go have her swim. And in the afternoon, she wants her shamanistic massages with hot rocks and crystals. And then in afternoon, late afternoon, she did something she called going to sunset, which best I could understand meant hanging out in beach chairs with assorted castaway Europeans wearing gauze or linen, and the objective would be to just try to look windswept. And I, is, is this an activity? What, what, are, what are we doing exactly? What are we doing? And she told me, there's going to be a party, and you must come. I'm going to be there. And she was there for three seconds, and then she disappeared into the crowd. And so, again, with the beats, and I'm walking around trying to make the best of it, and I find myself next to this guy. And he's kind of shaggy looking, but quite friendly, and he hands me a drink. I expect it to be a beer, but it's a shake. And I thought, this is a healthy household. You know, I, I like this place. And I took a gulp. It was very refreshing, and I finished it. And then, boom, 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 she'll go in the background. He's trying to talk to me. I said, I can't hear. And he said, I hope you don't mind. Uh, there are mushrooms in there. <laughs> and at the time, I, at the time, I just thought, I, I never heard of that smoothie flavor. It, it's, must, must be local. I said, no, it's, that's great. That's great. No problem. It's great. Great. <laughs> so great. And then, and then suddenly, and she, she appeared to me. It, it felt like it had been three days, and she just showed up. And I wanted very urgently to kind of, um, I wanted to show her how my hand worked, because I said, I, I, just, I just never noticed this before. And I, I told and I told, her that, I told her that I had had this shake, and she was very concerned. And she said, well, who gave you this? Who gave you this? This is not good for you to be here among so many strangers. You, you come with me to the garden. And I, I walked with her to the garden. I took her hand, and it was at that moment that my fascination for her just fused chemically at a molecular level. We were like one figure walking through the garden, joined at the hand. This is always the tough part. Where, then, 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 uh, then. <laughs> it's always the mushroom part, and it just, it's, everything stops. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. So, you know, I, I love that boundless quality about her, and I, I loved how she was just open to receive all these things in the, in the world. But the boundlessness, it could, it could just seem like no boundaries sometimes. And... There would be uh, her, her, her kind of tenderness had this, had this evil twin in a kind of uh, wild volatility, and she would just go from laughter to tears and whispers to shouting, and then her gentleness would just turn into rage. And one time she came over to me and just had this big bag of pills, and she, she gave them to me, and I said, what, what is this? And she said, they are antidepressants. I said, am I going to need these? And she, said, and she said, no, they are mine. They are mine. She says, but sometimes when it is too much, 
I feel I might take them all at once. It has happened before. Please take them. They're like, okay. And it was just getting to be a lot, this pendulum swing between bliss and emotional waterboarding, and I could not <laughs> handle it any, any, anymore. And uh, I felt like I needed an out. And I sort of had one because I went to Singapore. I found a job there, and I decided I'm not going back to Bali. I'm going to be here. It felt like a relief. It felt like an escape valve had opened up, and all I had to do was deliver this news. And I told her, but she didn't miss a beat. She just said, fine, then I will join you. I was like, oh, that's, that's so, I get, you know, when, am I, when are you coming? And so she arrived in Singapore, and we lived a sort of, uh, you know, a good facsimile of a, almost a husband and wife life in this setting that was still very tropical and lush, but now it was kind of a very disciplined and concrete version in a government flat with squat toilets. But still, <laughs> her self-generated, surrealistic lifestyle still managed to thrive. Um, I'd come home from work, and I'd say, oh, what did you do today? And she said, oh, it was wonderful. I followed a woman in the shopping mall all afternoon. And why did you do that? I said, because she had the most beautiful feet I have ever seen. Here, look at the pictures. <laughs> so, and then I'd be, uh, it'd be a weekend afternoon, and suddenly she'd just pull me out into, the, uh, into a grassy area in the, uh, on the housing estate, and she'd just read her very favorite passages of erotic, dystopian science fiction. Um, and once... I was in the kitchen, I just heard her yell, ah, fantastic, and I went running out into the hallway. What happened? What happened? And I found her straddled out across the squat toilet, taking pictures of the abstract patterns that her menstrual blood had made dripping down her leg. <laughs> and what do you... What, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to get rid of those photos someday. I'm going to get a... <laughs> and... Um, and, uh, but the, the, the Singapore chapter was also starting to draw to a fast close because I was transferred, and she had to go back to Italy. And uh, the days were numbered. And the day before she was going to fly out, a group of her friends came into town. I could see, uh, there's, actually, there seemed to be a couple of drones in there. And I believe that one is a genius drone. And uh, so we went out that night to a club. And they sat there, so motionless, sipping their drinks, so cool. And I'm usually very happy to be uncool. And I said, hey, aren't we going to dance? We're in a club. Let's dance. And uh, I asked her, you want to dance? And I only got a, and all I got was, don't be ridiculous. And so, leaning hard into uncool, I got drunk, just danced by myself. And... Um, just as an aside, if anyone is ever inclined to mix drunkenness with dancing, with passive aggressiveness, just it's ill-advised, and no one, no one wins. No one wins, so don't, don't do it. But, uh, but I was right. I was right, because then later on when we were alone, it was kind of weird rhythms, weird pauses, you know, weird timing, so what's going on? And it turned out, 
you know, she had had what she called a therapeutic session with Genius Drone in his hotel room earlier that day when I was at work. And, uh, and it didn't help at all, the distinction she made. She said, well, perhaps conventionally it is sexual, but for me, entirely non-emotional. That's not helping. It doesn't, it doesn't help at all. And, and it, it, uh, but I, I understood, I, I actually understood it. And I had accepted that part of her because I understood her and I wanted to be part of her world, but still hurt. So there, there were tears that night, tears of mushroom shake. And um, the next morning when we went to the airport, it was very quiet. And when we got there, she, her luggage was hopelessly overweight. And she was just handing me things selectively at first and then just handed me a whole stack of books. And uh, she said, you must, you must send them to me when I'm in Italy. And I just held on to them like her children and watched her go beyond the partitions, wondering when we were going to see each other again. And I was standing there alone, and it was quite painful, the prospect of lugging these books back to an empty apartment where they would sit there as our mementos of our time together and these reminders of her pathologies of aroma. And... But then suddenly I was visited by a spike of anger and this jolt of a sense of betrayal. And they showed up like two friends that were there to look out for me. And one of them whispered, I don't remember which one, but one of them whispered, it doesn't have to be so hard. And I found myself pivoting slowly like a construction crane. And the stack hovered there for a second and then the lid to the rubbish bin swung open, and they slid in. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this story brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. Special thanks go out this week to Mel, who took care of all the storytellers in the September 2018 show. We appreciate all your work. The music for this podcast was created and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell. This week, the final word goes to Suhas, who says, I hate it when people ask me where I see myself in two years. I don't have 20-20 vision. <laughs>